fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, we were hoping that the crew would grow by one more today, but uh, apparently if Reagan's here, that means no baby yet. So sorry, Michelle. Sorry. So my Bible got all, look at that. Hey, we've uh, we started a, a new sermon series last week, Walking with Jesus, and we're looking at six basic basics of, of the Christian faith, six basics of discipleship. Last week, Pastor Matt did a great job kicking us off with the topic of worship. Uh, what a wonderful Sunday that was, last Sunday with Pentecost, celebrating that as well. This Sunday, we're looking at the importance of being in a group, connected to a group. And I'm excited this morning to have some uh, testimonies, have some people sharing uh, from, from what they've experienced in a group, and also uh, just to, to kind of encourage you as much as I can for you to consider joining a group if you have not yet done so. Uh, it's funny, in my last church, I was often asked, people would ask me, um, because when I came to the church about 11 years ago now, in 2006, uh, the youth group was kind of decimated. There wasn't a lot of kids around, and so it was like, hey, Chad, be the savior of our youth ministry and come and fix this, which is always a wonderful spot to put somebody in. I, did, I was young and, and dumb and didn't know that that's what they were asking me to do, but it seemed exciting at the time, and so we took the job, and we were just excited to have a call out of seminary and jumped in and uh, started trying to fix this youth group. And uh, almost 10 years later, people were going, wow, how did you do this? How did you create this really successful youth group where kids are growing in their faith, and it's not just growing numerically, but it was growing spiritually, and kids were going on mission trips and feeling like they were called into ministry. And of course I said, I'm just amazing. That's how I did this. (laughs) Um, It's my charisma, and no, anybody, in fact, anybody who ever tells you that is absolutely a liar, totally a liar, because the reality is, anyone, I think, anybody could try to set up something successfully based on their charisma, entertainment value, the fun factor, all of those things, but if you know kids in particular, you know that kids are fickle, and they kind of chase the fun, and chase, and, and you can always be out-entertained by somebody else, or you can always be outfund, I know that's not a word, but outfund by something else. There's always something else out there to entertain them. And so the reality was that, that the fun, the entertainment, the charisma, that was not, not the reason we were successful. And so what I ended up telling people, what I ended up realizing after 10 years is that the reason our youth group grew, the reason kids were coming who did not know Jesus The reason relationships with Jesus were forming and developing and strengthening was because of small groups. Because small group ministry, that ministry, that strategy, and it's like the least sophisticated thing you can imagine. It's so funny, I would go to these youth ministry seminars and youth ministry conferences and sit with youth pastors and we'd talk and we'd talk, how do you grow your youth group, how do you grow it? And, and what I found in the end was one of the least sophisticated things we could do was the thing that grew our youth group. We found amazing leaders, amazing people who were willing to come alongside youth and spend a week, on a weekly basis, spend 30, 40 minutes with them at our youth group, talking about life, talking about the Bible, just going deep with each other, forming relationships with each other, and that became the bread and butter of our ministry, and that is why we grew. And so for us, it wasn't games, it wasn't fun, but let me, let me tell you, we had lots of fun. 
It wasn't whitewater rafting, rock climbing, mission trips. It wasn't those things. It was making small groups the bread and butter of our youth ministry that made the depth of spiritual conversation happen. It made the depth of relational connection a possibility. It made it so that kids felt like there was a safe place where they could be honest, they could be heard, they could have doubts about faith, they could wrestle with faith, they could get answers they needed, or they could just have somebody say, yeah, I don't know either. It was a safe place to grow in faith. And so because the culture of small groups was so strong, it, it, created the, 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 it made it so that activities and events like mission trips and retreats were strong as well. The other thing that was really incredible, the last thing I want to share about my experience and my, my uh, observation on the last 10 years of ministry that I did and, and why I come to think small groups are such an important thing, is that sometimes what, what can happen then is you can think, you might think this, that if you focus so much on small groups, that makes it so that it becomes insular. You know what I mean? Like almost cliquish. Like, well, there's people who are in the groups and people who aren't. But I saw the exact opposite was happening with our kids. What I saw with our students is that their group was so strong and the culture of our youth group was so focused on bringing new people to Jesus, new people into the group, that they trusted their small group leaders enough to say to friends who they knew did not have these kinds of connections, did not have a place to share life like this, they would say, this is a place that you, you can come. You will be heard. You'll be treated fairly. You'll be taken seriously. Your questions might not all get answered, but at least it's a safe place to ask them. And so they would bring their friends. And I always thought that was, that was, would, was kind of bizarre to me. Because as a church kid, I always kind of thought church is like my thing, my place. And, I, and my group of friends, this is my church friends. And I have school friends we do things, but these are my church friends. So I never imagined church. It, was, it really blew my mind looking back on this and, and observing it over time that, that these, these small groups at our youth group were safe places to bring others into. And we saw so many kids come to faith in Christ and lives change because these small groups were open to new students coming in. And so our topic today, oh, look at this, I already forgot to do my slides. So there's some people from my last church. This is our send-off where all these people kind of came back and said, we love you, and I was like, I love you too. And we have some of the amazing adults who, uh, who volunteered in our ministry there. And honestly, though, that was the strength of our church. The strength of our youth ministry was small groups, which is why I believe being connected to a group, being connected to a group, be it a grow group is what we call them here at Simi Covenant, or some other group that, that you have that you've been in for years and years, that grow groups or small groups being connected to a group gives you the best chance to build relationships with others and to grow in your life of Christ and also I think a piece that we often miss when we talk about small groups. Being connected to a group gives you the best chance to give and receive care in the life of the church. It, it becomes harder and harder as churches grow for this guy or people in my position to care for everyone. But being connected to a group really allows the group to be the front lines of care in the church. And it's an amazing thing when that happens. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to go to Hebrews chapter 10, it's going to kind of be the guiding uh, text for today. But really, I, I want to uh, have some testimonies and just give you a few things as to why I believe being connected to a group is so important and why I want to encourage you to. 
From the beginning, God has always been in community with God's self. So, so we were created for community. I want to kind of lay a theological groundwork here for being, being the importance of being connected to community. And so God from the beginning, from the beginning has been in community with God's self. Now this is one of those really hard things to wrap your mind around, the Trinity, that God is three but God is one. And scholars and theologians over time have tried to wrap their minds around this. One pastor, he said this, I thought this was beautiful. He said, the engine of the universe, I love thinking about God that way, the engine of the universe, is a community of Trinitarian love encircling each other. The engine of the universe, the thing that makes everything possible, everything happened, the very thing that launched creation. You have the word of God speaking the world into being. The very word that then later John says became flesh and walked among us. You have at the beginning the creation uh, of creation, the spirit hovering over the waters. Have you noticed these things when you've read Genesis? That even there there's this hint that there's more than just one, that there's Three in the one, encircling each other, partnering together. There's a community. Have you noticed when they say, let us make mankind in our image? What's that about? Us? God, the Trinity, always in community, always in partnership. We were then created for community. Community with one another and community with God. We were created for community. And the reason they talk about this encircling one another, that the engine of the universe is a community of Trinitarian love encircling one another, there's a Greek word, perichoresis, that they would use. And it's this idea of like a circle dance, that the Trinity is, 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 in, a, is in a circle and dancing and working together, perichoresis, almost dancing around one another. Our God models the importance of community. We were made for community. And so I would say again, I believe being connected to a small group, you're going to hear me say this over and over this morning, being connected to a group of people pursuing Christ, at whatever level they may be at in their life of faith, but pursuing Christ gives you your best chance at growing in faith, at growing in relationship with others and with God. Today, we believe we are more connected than ever. Isn't that the truth? I want to kind of, again, lay a groundwork for why I think this is so important. So God created us for community, but the reality is today, we believe we're more connected than ever, but in reality, we have this thing, and we feel more isolated than ever. Studies are showing uh, that as many as 34% of the millennial generation, that's the current 18 to 35-year-olds, 34%, one in three of them are saying that they feel lonely and isolated. More connected than ever. The generation that you would think is more, the most connected, they have so many friends on Facebook. How could you be isolated and lonely? But, the, but it's, it's not real. It's not face-to-face. -face. It's not personal. And it's all the things that you get in there that Facebook actually feels like you, you're, you're missing out on everything. Have you heard of the FOMO, fear of missing out? You look on there and you go, oh, everybody's having fun and I'm at home watching reruns of Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> Not me, I, would, I can't stand that show, but I know lots of people. 
And so you look, as you're doing that, you open your phone, your computer, and go, oh, but I'm sitting here doing this, and I see pictures of my friends who are out doing things or traveling the world, and I feel lonely and isolated. 34%, one in three of 18 to 35-year-olds saying they feel lonely, isolated. Uh, as I was doing some research on this, I saw headlines that called it chronic loneliness. The loneliness epidemic. I have not thought about it this way. I came across an article, you can see the quote on the screen. I'm not going to try to pronounce this guy's name, his last name. That's just too hard for me. It's probably Cacciapo or something. Uh, University of Chicago Center for Cognitive and Social Neuroscience. In an interview, he said, loneliness makes you feel terrible. It's bad for your mental health. Maybe these are things that you're like, well, yeah, duh. Well-being goes down, depressive symptoms go up, your likelihood of developing mental and affective disorders increases, it's bad for your physical health. This is one that I hadn't really thought of. It's an meta-analysis of 3 million people which controlled for all these factors. Loneliness increased odds of an early death by 26%. A lot of that is the physical effects of, of uh, obesity, heart disease, these things that when we pull away from other people, when we start to pull away and isolate ourselves, the, the road that that often leads down is unhealthy. And so loneliness is like this epidemic, this disease that we have today. In a day where, again, I could pull the phone out again, where we feel more connected than ever before. Than ever before. And so if that's not reason enough to pursue the opposite, pursuing healthy relationships, pursuing a group of people who can come alongside you. I want to give you just some, some very easy, like here's the reasons why I want to encourage you to be in a grow group. It turns out that in the early days of the church, in Hebrews 10 here, the author of Hebrews, he needed to remind the followers of Jesus in the early church not to pull away. He says to them, don't give up hope, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Did I turn this off? No, there we go. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What was going on in this context is that there was some significant, significant, persecution and some significant um, pressure from the outside world for them not to meet together. And in the face of that, some people were giving up hope. Some people were saying, maybe this Jesus thing isn't what it's all cracked up to be. I don't know if I'm willing to risk my life for this movement. And they were giving up meeting together. They were saying, I don't want to risk it. Let's pull back. Let's get away. And so the author of Hebrews had to say, no, don't pull away. Don't isolate yourselves. As believers in the face of persecution, in the face of extreme trials, you need each other even more. Don't pull away. Don't pull away. We need each other, he says, the author says, because of encouragement. We need encouragement. I don't know about you, but this is a world where it's so easy to complain, to be cynical, to look at what's going on and just go like, oh, what a mess. And isn't it just fun to join in kind of a gripe session? I mean, let's be honest. We all really like to do that. More than, in, I don't know about encouragement sessions. I hear about gripe sessions, but I don't hear about encouragement sessions very often. Maybe we need to start having encouragement sessions. 
But I hear, it, we, we, it's, we have this phrase, this common, well, it's a gripe session. Where we get to, and there's an even more colorful word that some people will use about griping, complaining. You know what I'm saying, but it's church, so we're not going to say it. But, we, but we, it's so easy to get into this thing of complaining and being bitter. Bitter and cynical. You can look at the world and he says, don't give up meeting together because you need each other for encouragement. To spur one another on when life is hard. We'll get to that in a minute. You need each other. You think about when a job is lost, when career or life decisions need to be made, when relationships or marriages are, are just rocky and, and it feels like maybe, maybe, the, the easiest thing to do is, is to do what? I don't want to be a burden to other people. Now, people, I've heard that in pastoral care situations where they've got a scary diagnosis, they, they think they're going to lose a loved one, something terrible has happened in the mess of life and just the seasons of life we go through something has happened and people say hey i don't want to be a burden to anybody else i only want you to know i don't want to share this with anybody else and we tend to pull back and we tend to pull away from the very community that could support us love us through these really tough times in galatians 6 this is an interesting verse paul says carry each other's burdens this is a call to the church Carry each other's burdens. Share your burdens with each other. And in this way, I I had not noticed the connection here until this week looking at this verse. In this way, in the carrying each other's burdens, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Whoa. There's something about being connected to each other and allowing each other into our lives fully, deeply, with all the mess as much as you're comfortable with, that happens over meeting together, over months and years, that you build these relationships where you are allowed to carry each other's burdens. And Paul says, in doing that, you fulfill the law of Christ. I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, I want to fulfill the law of Christ. Whatever that looks like, whatever that means, I want to do that. And so again, for me, what it meant at our last church was investing deeply in a small group strategy for our youth ministry and for my wife and I and our family to invest in small group ministries. Did we always have the greatest experience in our small groups? No, but we were invested in gathering a group of people together to do life with, to share life with, the ups, the downs, the messes, the joys Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Paul in, uh, in Galatians says that the law of Christ, the, he boils it all down. He says, you want to you figure out how to follow the law, the prophets, how to do it? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. I mean, Jesus was the one who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second commandment is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul's like, love your neighbor as yourself. You do that. If you can do that, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. Groups, being connected to a group is your greatest chance to carry each other's burdens, to to be known, fully known, so people can, can, can affirm you, encourage you, help you, and also to know others, so you can be an encouragement to others, so you can help them in their faith, in their life, Small groups, small groups are the best place, I think, the primary, the primary care and support 
for people, the front lines. I've said that already and I want to say it again. It's the front lines of care where we can give and receive care. I've come to believe that, that small groups in this are really the front lines of ministry in a healthy church. It's the reason Pastor Matt is doing small groups for kids ministry now. We've got small groups for youth ministry. And I can't encourage you enough to, to entertain the thought of being in a small group for yourself, for your family. I want to take a, a step to the side here. I've got, I've got a couple more points to make, but I want to uh, read one a testimony from somebody in our church and invite another uh, a person forward to share a testimony uh, of their experience in small groups. Uh, Wendy Hicks, who's been in a, a group of a women's group, uh, weekly Thursday night women's group said this. said, even though we call ourselves a small group, to me it's much more than that. We are a village. We do life together. It's sort of crazy to say that about our group that's only been in existence for over two years, but it's true. These are our people. And I know that this group is not an insular, clicky group. They've invited others in. They've invited others in. Our small group started out much differently than it looks today. We were six women, younger, older, married, single, with kids, and without. We started off with a video series and Voskamp's 1,000 Gifts, where we were challenged to open our eyes to see God's blessings all around us, even in the messy day-to-day. Since then, our last seven studies have rotated between looking inward at our own faith journeys, focusing on raising godly children, to praying for our marriages. And then she adds, we spent a long time on that one. Come on. Over the last two years, we've lost a few members and gained others. As of right now, our group incorporates 10 families, 24 children, ranging in ages from 17 months to 9 years. We've celebrated two births and hope to celebrate another one very soon. We've prayed a family through a traumatic brain injury. We've grieved for the loss of loved ones. This is the care stuff. We've prayed over difficult relationships and rejoiced together in victories and miracles. While I was writing this, I asked my group, she says, to share one thing they loved about the group, and their answers were pretty much the same. The people. It's about the community, relationships. We were built for community. God created us for community. She says, how much we all take care of each other, how loving and genuine everyone is, how we're always there for each other. We can trust each other with heartaches and failures and celebrate each other's joys, how we lovingly hold each other accountable, build each other up, rally around to love one another. We come from so many different walks of life, yet complement each other beautifully. That is such a cool picture. Different walks of life, different experiences, complementing each other, helping each other to grow. Finally, she says, we are so much more than a bunch of women who gather every Thursday night to do a study. Our group happens just as much throughout the week as it does on Thursdays, thanks to our epically long Facebook Messenger conversation where we share just about everything with each other. Emergency prayer requests, health updates, to whatever wacky things our kids, and sometimes our husbands, are doing, and everything in between. It's not the study that makes our group so special. It's the people. I can't imagine life without these women. Thank you, Wendy, for sharing. She might be in, is she in a nursery right now? Yeah, just, uh, it's an amazing testimony, and this is just one testimony of people. I'd like to invite uh, Dennis Kelly, and is Lori coming too, Dennis? No, just Dennis. Okay. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't, you know, I don't make any assumptions. Uh, Dennis Kelly was going to share a bit too about the importance of, of his group and the impact of their group. Thanks, Dennis. Lori's not uh, coming up to talk, and I'm not going to come up and sing, so. 
we all win on that one. Um, this morning during worship, the worship song, uh, Come and Listen to What He's Done, I kind of changed what I was going to talk about because uh, it struck me that our grow group is a chance to come and listen and with other people and you that you care about and, and you grow to care about them. And uh, you get to come and listen to what he's done. So through the sermon, through our discussion of the sermon, we learn what Christ did in the Bible and through deeper study of that. But it's also a chance to come and listen to what he's doing uh, in our lives. And for each of us right now as we're walking along. And uh, so that worship song kind of, to me, summed up what our grow group is. It, it, it is a chance to come and listen to what Christ has done, come and listen to what Christ is doing. Uh, you know, it's what Chad talked about. We get to experience what each of our lives are like in real time. Uh, all of our frailties, uh, all of our awesomeness as well. Uh, and Christ gets to share himself through each of us with one another. Uh, that's a key, I think, to the small group concept is your friends and the people you're with, Christ shows himself through them. And uh, it's something that I, I would encourage you, if, if you don't want to, if you want to think of it as a time that you need to come and talk or study, it can be a time to come and listen. And if you don't want to talk and you just want to see what's, what it's all about, just come and listen, and uh, Christ will meet you there. I love it. I love it. That's, that's great. That's so great. I think uh, what, what I want to follow up on that and just uh, a couple more things to, to share is I think uh, grow groups can be a great, a great place for the ages and stages of life. kind of talked about this uh, already a little bit this morning, but we have all these things going on in our life, and oftentimes we need advice, counsel, support. Uh, grow groups are an awesome way. Being part of a group is an awesome way to receive that support. But it takes intentionality. Dennis kind of alluded to that, that sometimes there's, there's fears of, I don't know, do I have to come and just share everything or come and listen? I love that. I love that. Come and listen. Come and learn. Come and hear what Christ is doing in the lives of others, what he has done for them. What a great choice on that song. Way to go. <laughs> Uh, there's a, I think about specifically uh, for parents, for anybody trying to raise kids, the importance of having, uh, as Wendy said in her testimony, a village around you. Uh, anybody who's tried to raise, parent, or raise parents, raise kids, <laughs> maybe some of you are in that stage of raising parents now, sorry. Uh, any of us who have tried to raise kids, you know that there's not an owner's manual. You're just figuring it out. And sometimes you make a mess of it. And sometimes it goes really well and you don't even know why. But you need each other. The Fuller Youth Institute, I talked about this a, a little while, uh, probably a year ago now. Fuller Youth Institute, part of Fuller Seminary, did a study, it's probably 10 years old now, called Sticky Faith. And they were really trying to hone in on what are the things that help kids have a faith that sticks, a faith that lasts. They were finding uh, through their studies some very uh, scary data that as kids were graduating from high school, almost half were losing their faith were reporting that they were losing their faith. And they, they believe that that's a pretty conservative estimate. 
That almost half. And the scarier thing is, and other studies are showing, see, maybe for some of you, you might be thinking, well, that's not a big deal because once people get married and have their children, then they'll just automatically come back to church. But these millennials I was talking about earlier, and, and some of my generation too, waiting till their 30s to get married, waiting till longer. So you have this prolonged gap of not going to church. And it's becoming harder and harder just to say, like, well, people will just come back. They'll just come back. And so what they've been trying to do, Sticky Faith, and then uh, actually the leadership team, we've been reading a book called Growing Young, which is really the, them saying, here are the things that people are doing that have been successful in churches to keep kids having a faith that lasts. One of the things that they keep pointing to that, that this uh, picture up here alludes to is having five non-parental caring adults involved in every kid's life. They found that that's, it's not like a magic number, but they found that if there are five non-parental adults in your kids' lives, in your kids' life, that they have a greater chance of having faith on the other end of high school, on the other end of graduation. What I love to say to people is that, one, if your kid is involved, or your child is involved in our children's ministry or youth ministry, they've got a couple people right there. Just by being involved in the life of the church, there is a couple non-parental caring adults who are pouring into their life on a weekly basis, if you're here on a weekly basis. The other part of that then is, is, is kind of on you as parents and on you to, to intentionally seek out who are these people that I want pouring into my kids' lives. Who are those people? Being a part of a group, whether it's just a dinner group or as we like to jokingly call, and I had to cut this video from today, but one of these days I'll show it to you, being a part of a shallow small group where you just say like, we're just gonna do life together. We're not trying, we've got kids running amok. We're just going to hang out and get to know each other over a meal while the kids go crazy. But it's intentionally finding people to say, these are the people I would like to see invested in my kids' lives. At our former church, we had an amazing single man named Travis who was a, not, not just best friend to us, not just ministry partner to us, but he was Uncle Travis. Because Uncle Travis was at our house all the time, hanging out with our kids. And I believe that even to this day, our kids would feel like Travis is somebody they could say, Travis, I don't want to talk to mom and dad about this, but I'd like to talk to you. I trust you. And he would give advice that we would think is awesome. Our other friends, Eric and Heidi, I give these examples lest you think it's just, this is just a call for people who have kids. Eric and Heidi were a young married couple that they do not have kids at this point. But Eric and Heidi were uh, some of our best friends. Again, partners in ministry with us in youth ministry, but also would come over to our house regularly, share a meal together where our kids would really see them as, as people they could look up to, people that were mentors. Eric happened to be the children's pastor at the church for a while, so Eric was also a pastor figure to our kids. But see, it takes intentionality. It took intentionality for Jody and I to say, we want to be a part of a community of people who are pouring, not just at us, so that we can have friendships, but we'll be pouring into the lives of our kids. We need more spiritual fathers and mothers in the church. And that you can be single, you can be married with no kids, you can be married with kids, you can be retired, you can be a grandpa, you can be an aunt. That calls for anybody. Anybody can be a spiritual father or mother to our kids. And this data is showing that we desperately need people to walk alongside our families, to walk alongside our kids. One of the things, uh, one of the, uh, another quote I came across was from Reggie Joyner, who uh, he uh, has created this whole curriculum called Orange, which you'll be hearing about 
uh, a little bit in the next month. Some folks from our church went to the Orange Conference last year in Irvine. Uh, and this Orange Curriculum uh, is an amazing thing where it really tries to partner the church and the home together and see how we can work together. And, and a lot of the, the Fuller Youth Institute studies have been used in making this curriculum. One of the things he said in a book called Lead Small Culture is that our experience is that most kids who grow up and leave church did not run away from caring relationships. And isn't that the truth? I can think of myself as a kid who grew up in the church, grew up in an evangelical church. I knew the Bible. I knew that Jesus, and, and I kind of did my own thing in high school. I was doing my own thing. I wasn't really into church. But what I always knew about my home church, when I would go there, the youth pastor knew me. He knew me my name, even though I wasn't really involved. There was, there was these strange older people who would come up to me and say, I've been praying for you. I don't know who they were. Apparently, you know, I'd be like, Mom, who was that? Like, well, that's like your grandma's best friend. Like, I don't know these people. But there were people that made me feel like I belonged to that church. I belonged there. I was a part of that church, part of that community. And it was because there was these deep relationships in my family and my grandparents and others who came alongside other families. And it all kind of traces itself back to being part of groups. Groups of people who get to know each other so that they go, oh, my, my grandma's name was Shirley, which I just love that name. There's not enough Shirleys around today. You know, where I'm sure somebody would go like, Shirley, that's your grandson. I'm going to go and talk to him. Because there was those, the depth of relationships where people actually knew who their grandchildren were, who their nephews were. I see some of that happening here, but what would it look like if we really took this seriously and intentionally said, let's love the heck out of our kids. Let's make it so there's no excuse for our kids to walk away from church because it, there wasn't enough caring relationships. You tracking with me there? I mean, maybe it's other things. People, kids can get talked out of things. They can get new information, all of that stuff. But let's, not, let's do our best to love them so much that it's not about a lack of caring relationships. Let's make that true for the adults as well. This isn't just about kids. That's what I always love about this. Sometimes it looks like it's just about kids. It's not just about kids. It's all of us need the depth of relationship where you know that if you're not here, somebody's missing you. Somebody's going, oh, I missed them. That somebody might even call you and say, hey, you doing okay? I missed you. Or, or, or you're in a group and they say, oh, man, we've missed you for a few weeks. We hope you're doing okay. That's the front line of care where small groups can do so much. They can do so much for families, for individuals, for the life of a church and breathing an intimacy with Jesus and with each other. That is so foundational. Last thing I want to say is that if, if you're not in a group, hopefully you understand today that I really think it's a good idea if you are. Even if uh, my wife and I started just a dinner group last fall, just trying to intentionally say, like, come over and have dinner. There's, there's sometimes like 15 little kids running around the backyard. It's chaos. But we're, we're doing life together. We're doing what we can for now in this season of life. We're trying to support each other. So I want to encourage you, find a group. We'll be kicking off grow groups, the official groups, again in the fall. But there's always time to start something over the summer, to just start kind of an informal group to say, I want to get some people together. 
One of the things we've been doing that uh, Dennis referred to uh, is, is online right now uh, on our website. Every week I post a, uh, a resource that has an interesting article to read, a link to the text that we're preaching on, and then some discussion questions. So we as a church are providing you with some conversation material for your group. So if you're kind of worried, like, I don't know what this looks like, I don't know if I have to be Bible answer man to start a group or to join a group, no. I love what Dennis says, opportunity to listen, opportunity to share life together, opportunity to see that other people relate to God differently and maybe that can open a door to how you can relate to God better, differently. It's an amazing opportunity. I want to encourage you strongly, strongly to join a group. Would you pray with me? God, I give you thanks for this opportunity this morning just to talk about the importance of being connected to others, to sharing each other's burdens that we would fulfill the law of Christ. What a, what a profound statement Paul made. That in sharing life together and growing together and being in relationship with God and others, Lord, somehow that fulfills the call that we have to follow you. God, thank you for, for the many who give their times to open their homes for groups, for the many over the years who have done that, for the many who pour into the lives of kids and families and everyone else who's going through all the mess of life's ages, stages, seasons. Lord, thank you for those who walk alongside others, giving them support. God, help us. Help us as a church to invest in each other's lives in a way that brings people closer to you and brings people closer to one another. God, help us to see people, Lord, who are on the fringes, who don't feel connected, God. We don't want to be blind to them. Help us, Lord, to see people who are isolated, lonely, and invite them in. God, we thank you for the way that you, as a community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for the way that you exemplify community for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. If we stand and sing this last song, um, you have my vision. This is the song.